Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. There you go. Entrances and exits. You know, um, when I was thinking about this sermon and just thinking about entrances and my mind immediately went to movies and some of the classic entrances like some of the ones we watched on there like I remember watching Willy Wonka for the first time and wondering what on earth is going on and and obviously that clip was cut because it's like a two-minute clip Willy Wonka walking from the door all the way up there because he's hobbling the whole way and acting like he's got this limp and then he just collapses there right um the Darth Vader entrance in Star Wars. If you're not a Star Wars fan, you can't appreciate Star Wars to the full extent of that Darth Vader entrance. But that Darth Vader entrance is iconic. It's, it's one of the best movie entrances of all times. And we see Indiana Jones coming out from behind the shadow. We see superheroes stepping in at just the right moment to save the day. Somebody we didn't expect to see, but out of the shadows, here they are. Entrances can come in a couple of ways. Either we expect them, we know somebody's coming, like perhaps at your house this Thanksgiving, you knew people were coming over. You were anticipating their arrival. You were anticipating their entrance, the knock on the door. And sometimes they're completely unexpected. Sometimes they're at times that are less than convenient. But we don't control all the time when other people step in and decide to enter into our lives. Sometimes they enter where they please. So entrances and exits. You know, as I think about those two entrances, those types of entrances, the expected and the unexpected, uh, the expected is, uh, to me, uh, something that you look forward to, but... Man, it's not quite as exciting as the surprise, right? The surprise entrance, the, the I wasn't expecting an arrival. Those, those superhero movies, and you know I like superheroes, if you've heard me preach ever before. Um, when Spider-Man showed up there in Captain America's Civil War, now, you had seen him throughout the movie. You knew this was kind of leading up to it, but you didn't know you were going to see him there. You didn't know you were going to see him then. And Captain America's totally thrown off guard. Or the same with the, the Batman vs. Superman movie when Wonder Woman shows up. And this is the first time, so I'm geeking out here, right? Because this is the first time in cinematic history that Wonder Woman has been on a motion picture. She had her TV show in the 70s, but this is the first time she's been in a motion picture. These entrances that we, we almost don't expect, they come out of nowhere. And we can't really control them. Because those unexpected ones allow for this buildup of suspense, this what's going to happen next, this who's going to step in, who's going to fill the void, where do we go from here? 
And it's in that anticipation that the pressure builds. And like a tea kettle that's sitting on the stove, right? You've had it on for a while. You know that water's got to be getting hot by now. And you sat there and you stood by the stove for about three minutes waiting for it to, to start going, but it just wouldn't. So now you're in the living room doing something else. If you're like me, your kids are fighting and screaming at each other. So now you're taking care of that, breaking up the fight. And now all of a sudden the tea kettle decides to go off. It makes its entrance. The whistle begins to go because what we've been waiting for has finally arrived. It's finally come. Now that water is is boiled and it's ready to be used for whatever you need to use that water for. See, me, I don't drink coffee or tea, so I was making jello the other day. That's what I was using the tea kettle for. Blue raspberry jello, delicious. Um. <laughs> Thank you. So those clips we watched from those movies, um, perhaps you, you are familiar with some of those movies. Perhaps some of those movie franchises are some of the franchises that you really enjoy, but... I hope whether you knew those movies or you didn't, you could see kind of the picture of these entrances that were something epic, that were something out of the ordinary. There was something bigger happening there than just whatever. And of course, there's, there's more in, in movie history that we didn't include. Um, some of them, because that, that anticipation like I was talking about, that buildup is so great when we know something is coming, but we don't know when it's going to happen yet. That I couldn't put that in there because, you know, some of this stuff takes three, four, eight minutes long. So I think of the movie The Dark Knight, Batman movie, and the opening scene in The Dark Knight where there's a bank heist going on. And there's, there's six clowns and they're robbing the bank. And one by one, they keep getting knocked off by the other guy because they were going to share six shares of the, of the bank heist, right? And so each guy is eliminating another guy until there's just one left. And he pulls off his, his little clown mask and reveals that, oh, it's the Joker. It's the big bad guy. We've got the grand entrance. And whether they're good or bad doesn't make a difference for this illustration. That's not the point. The point is these entrances that build up and we anticipate them. There's plenty of other great ones in, in movies, but I also think of like the TV series entrances, the classic sitcoms. I think of Steve Urkel always barging through the door with his high nasally hello Got any cheese? Or I think of Kimmy Gibbler in Full House, who would also always just barge in. I guess that's just what they did in sitcoms. They just barged in. Or I think of Kramer in Seinfeld, who was always, like, frantic. Every time he walked in the door, he's just running around. Or Lenny and Squiggy from the Laverne and Shirley show, the spinoff of Happy Days. They also said hello, just like Steve Urkel every time they walked in the door. And so I think of these, and I think of these great entrances, but when I think about entrances— I think about what has to come after an entrance, right? Anytime you enter, you must also exit at some point. Or something's got to exit. Eventually a room reaches capacity and, and you can't fill up anymore. You know, have you, anybody ever waited in a line in a theme park before to get on a roller coaster? If those people sat on that roller coaster the whole time, you're never getting on it. So as you enter... They've got to exit. That's how it works. There's only so much room for so much here. And I need my ride. I need to get on the front of that roller coaster, so you need to make your exit. 
So if you're listening uh, online to this, you, you don't get to see um, what we're all seeing here in this room um, with our, our lovely decorations that um, many in the church have put together this last week. Um, thank you for all your hard work and, and time and effort putting up all these decorations. Um, but it's hard to miss, if you're sitting in this room, what we're expecting at this point, right? What we're anticipating, what we're building up to. You know, my boys are four and uh, 18 months, and my 18-month-old now already knows that once you start to see lights, we're building towards Christmas. It doesn't take but one time to know, like, this means Christmas Day. All these decorations means presents under the tree and family and toys and fun and loud noises and headaches and batteries and those plastic things that you can't ever open and you're taking scissors to, you know. Toys, I tell you what. Um, yeah, those are my gifts. Yeah, no. Mine stay in the box to preserve them. So entrances require exits. But Christmas is all about entrances. The Christmas story, right, is all about Jesus' entry into the world. It's all about Jesus coming as a baby, in a manger, shepherds, wise men, angels, all that jazz, right? That's Christmas. So if entrances require exits, what is it that's exiting in the Christmas story? Jesus is coming. What is leaving? And that's kind of what you know, I want to focus on a little bit today. See, the Jewish people were anticipating an entrance. They had been for about 400 years. You know, between the, the last word in the Old Testament and the first word in the New Testament, there's some about 400 years of time where God was silent. And the Jewish people were waiting for this Messiah guy that Isaiah kept talking about and the other prophets. When is he coming? Great-grandma kept saying he was coming. Great-great-grandpa kept saying he was coming. They've both gone now, and he still hasn't come. So when is he coming? And the anticipation was building. 400 years they were waiting, and as God's silent silence almost became deafening, suspense was so built up that I've got to believe that, that some of the people, you know, we, we, like to, we like to look back and paint people as more hopeful or optimistic or, or whatever than we are usually in our circumstances. At least I do. You know, I think people... When I look back at history, I always think people like, oh, they knew they were going to get out of that. They knew they were going to find a way to, to overcome those obstacles because this, it's so evident how they did it, right? Because I'm looking at the history books and I'm saying, this, this is what happened. They got right out of it. Um, but when we're in the middle of it, we begin to ask questions and we begin to doubt. And, and I got to believe that, that many of the Jewish people had to have come to the point where, no, this isn't happening. All these stories we've been sharing for all this time, yeah, maybe God was real then, and maybe he cared about us then, but he's not coming back. We're not getting the king to come and rule 
we're not getting somebody to come reestablish us as a people. See, the Jewish people had also been scattered throughout the land, sold into slavery. Their whole, their whole ancestral history is a mess. So not only were they looking for Jesus, as you and I understand Jesus today, but they wanted a king. They wanted a king who was going to sit on his throne and rule and reign. They were waiting for it, anticipating it, excited for it. But some, no doubt, began to doubt. I mean, after all, why would God choose to enter now? If he didn't enter then, the last 300 years, why would he choose to enter in now? If he didn't intervene in this situation, why would he choose to intervene in this situation? If all this other stuff was going on, and God didn't seem to do anything about that, why would he deal with this? Questions we ask and we wrestle with, and there's no easy answer for them. But that's the thing about entrances, especially when we talk about the entrance of God. See, God controls when he enters. God decides when he wants to enter in. We don't get to demand his entrances. We don't get to control it. Now, he's not as sporadic as Steve Urkel. He's not as obnoxious as Lenny and Squiggy. But God enters in when he decides to enter in. And so we read in John chapter 1, and you can turn in your Bibles or your phones or tablets or whatever you've got that's got the word on it, um, to John chapter 1. And we're going to start in the first verse of John chapter 1. And and, uh, before I even read it, let me just say, this is my favorite telling of the Christmas story. And you might be saying, looking at this thinking, well, this isn't really the Christmas story. What about all the angels and shepherds and wise men and all that stuff? Yeah, they're not in this story. They're not in this telling that John tells of the Christmas story. But in John's telling of God's entrance into life, the Christmas story is according to John. Man, I see a picture of God in a way that, that blows me away sometimes. And, and maybe that's just me personally. But I love this telling of it. So John chapter 1, starting in verse 1, we'll go through verse 14. It says this, In the beginning was the Word... Notice capital W there. Proper noun, name of a person, place or thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through Him, and apart from Him, not one thing was created that has been created. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This is not the writer John. This is John the Baptist is referring to. said, He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Anticipation. Build up, suspense. When's it going to happen? Where's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? We're getting there. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, and yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, he gave them a right to be 
children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of natural descent, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Like I said, John's my favorite telling of the Christmas story. The word, capital W, is referring to Jesus. Jesus was with God in the beginning. Jesus was God. Through Jesus, all things were created. And nothing was created apart from Jesus. See, we believe in a triune God, a a three-in-one. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all equally God. No one more God than the other. 100%, 100%, 100% to 100%. It doesn't make mathematical sense. But that's God. God is beyond math and science and time and all of our understanding that we try to compartmentalize and understand what God has created. God exists beyond all that because he created it. So we believe in a God who Jesus, as we refer to as the Son of God, and he himself refers to himself as the Son of God, is equally God. Jesus was both fully man and fully God. Again, 100% man and 100% God. And it's so important that we understand and that we believe that about Jesus. Because that is what allows Jesus to do what Jesus did. Jesus being both 100% God and 100% man allows Jesus to do what Jesus actually did. Everything about Christmas is about God. And everything about it is for you and for me. I think sometimes we think that promises and blessings and gifts and stuff like that are for other folk. And we have a hard time accepting them for ourselves. I've been reading this book and it's been challenging my uh, perceptions. And it's not a revolutionary book. And, and, and I think any one of you uh, would enjoy reading it. Um, it's, it's a very fun read. Um, and it's not too theological or, or brainy. Um, it's called The Art of Neighboring. And it's not revolutionary or groundbreaking in a lot of ways, but it, it communicates these truths about the way we are to interact with other people. The way God called us to be neighbors to those who live next door to us and those we work with. And everything about what God does in me and through me, this is what I'm, I'm, I've been learning and understanding, Everything that God does in me and through me is for me. God is is making me holy. God is changing me. God is making me a better person. And that's great, and I praise Him, and I love Him for that. But it's also not just about me. He's doing it for other people. For the people that I have influence over. For the people that I have relationships with. See, when God does something for you, it's not just for you. It's for other folk, too. We're all in it together.
God gained nothing personally by stepping into flesh. But he did it anyway. And God made the entrance through Jesus so that sin might find the exit. Remember, that's what I asked at the beginning of the sermon. If Jesus enters in, what must exit? And the story of God says that when Jesus enters in, sin has to flee. The sin that captures us, torments us, burdens us with guilt and shame, it has to leave. Because Jesus is holy. Because Jesus is God. Sin has no place in the presence of God. And so he pushes it back. And the the imagery that's used in John is that of light and darkness. That's the analogy that's being drawn there. That when you turn the light on, the darkness flies to the corners, right? When you go into your house at night and you hit the light switch on in the living room, the darkness spreads as far away from the light as it can because it can't coexist with the light. Lightness overpowers it. And so Jesus overpowers sin. Sin has to exit. Has to flee. A lot of times we have this feeling that, you know, I, I can't get over sin. I can't beat sin. I can't fight against sin. It's just too powerful. But the truth of the matter is, if you believe in Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, sin has to flee from you. Not because of you, but because of Jesus living in you. There's a great image that I just love, and I I see it every Christmas season. I don't know if you can make everything out in this image, and I'll kind of try to point some of it out to you. Um, But I just love this image because it it just, for me, captures this this idea so much. So in this image, on the the right-hand side of the picture is Eve. You see in her right hand an apple or some kind of fruit that has a bite taken out of it. You probably can't see the little bite from sitting in the back there. She sinned, her and Adam, together. It wasn't just Eve, it was both of them. They both did it and doomed humanity together. Adam and Eve sinned, and sin entered the world. And ever since that first moment of selfishness, the human experience has been about combating and fighting against selfishness so that God might rule and reign in our lives. Notice what's wrapped around Eve's leg there, a serpent. And it's kind of curled up her leg a little bit. So as to kind of indicate, it's inhibiting the way she can move and interact with life. It's going all the way up to her knee. Making it hard for her to move, to do anything. Because sin has entrapped her. On the right side of the image, we see another woman. A woman with child. That woman is Mary, the mother of Jesus. In her belly is Jesus coming into the world as flesh. Notice where Mary's foot is on the head of the snake. So that Eve doesn't need to feel burdened by that sin anymore because of Jesus very literally living inside of Eve or inside of Mary, excuse me. Jesus very literally living inside of Mary. 
I love this image. Because as you really get up and you examine it too, and if you, if you can see all the, the nuance to it, you see this, this guilt on Eve's face. This shame. This, this burden that she doesn't know how to break and how to move past. And notice that both Eve's and Mary's eyes, they're not looking at each other. They're fixated on the womb, on Jesus, who is changing things for them, who is freeing them from sin. Sin has to exit when Jesus comes and enters in. This is what the Gospel of Luke says. This this is the more traditional Christmas story. The angel answered, talking to Mary, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. It's not Mary that's breaking the power of sin. Her foot's doing the literal action, but it's Jesus who's allowing it to happen. It's Jesus who's conquering sin, and with it, the penalty of sin. See, when God created in the garden, life was perfect. There was no decay. There was no disease or sickness. All those things we read about in Isaiah earlier, those sicknesses that Christ bore for us, the pains that he carried, none of that was part of the equation when God created it's all a result of sin. Now, it doesn't mean that because you sin, you now have a problem. That's not what this is. It's that sin happens in the world around us. We live in a world full of sin. Original sin is what we call it. The sin that Adam and Eve unleashed on humanity. And as a result of it, we're all subjected to it. We will all, at some point in our lives, die because of sin. We weren't supposed to. We were supposed to live forever in perfect harmony with God and creation. So Jesus sets out to make things right. Jesus' entrance is all about setting things right and correcting that which has been done wrong. Irenaeus, a uh, second century theologian, wrote this. As Eve was seduced by the word of an angel, and so fled from God after disobeying his word. Mary, in her turn, was given the good news by the word of an angel and bore God in obedience to his word. As Eve was seduced into disobedience to God, so Mary was persuaded into obedience to God. Thus, the Virgin Mary became the advocate of the Virgin Eve. See, for Irenaeus, he believed that Mary was the new Eve. What Eve had done wrong, Mary corrected. And Jesus was the new Adam. Where Adam messed up and caused a curse to be fallen on all of humanity, Jesus corrected it and freed us from that curse. And where the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was the by, or was the object that was used to create that curse. The cross 
another tree, is used to redeem us. This duality of the stories. See, when Jesus enters in, sin has to leave. Has no choice. Because Jesus conquered it. Jesus defeated death by going to the cross, by bearing our sins, and by rising back to life. That's what Christmas is all about. I know this sounds like Easter, but that's what Christmas is all about. Charlie Brown. Jesus coming in and freeing us from sin. Ever since Adam and Eve's first sin in the Garden of Eden, sin had made its grand entrance. And sin entrance was far more menacing than Darth Vader's entrance in the first Star Wars film. I, I've heard, I wasn't alive when the first Star Wars came out, but I've heard stories of people who went and, and saw that in theaters and remember watching that opening for the first time and feeling this chill of like, this is a bad guy that just came on the scene. And that was nothing compared to what sin has done. Darth Vader couldn't even imagine to cause the kind of destruction that sin has caused on humanity. And we're subjected to it. Without Jesus, anyway. Try as we might, we couldn't do anything about it in our own strength. Try as we might, we couldn't find a system or religious right that would allow us to be okay. See, the Jewish people had tried that too. God had established a law for them to follow. And said, if you follow this law, you'll be holy people. You'll be in right standing with me. But the law was impossible to live up to in every standard. It was impossible. And so, knowing that, God knew that. He's like, I'm sending Jesus anyway. Excuse me. I'm sending Jesus anyway. And he's going to free you from it. Humanity was trying to get sin to leave. But we couldn't do it until Christmas. Until another entrance was made. Until the Word became flesh. When Jesus enters, sin has to exit. Jesus' entrance into your life means an exit of sin and slavery from your life. Now, there's, there's two kinds of sin, and not to get all uh, Bible study or theological on you, but there's the original sin, which is what we've been talking about, and then there's personal sin. Original sin is that sin that we live in the world, and it's around us because Adam and Eve sinned. We can't escape it. We can't overcome it. That's the sin that Jesus cancels. That's the sin that Jesus conquers. That's the sin that Jesus frees us from and gives us hope of a new life. Now, your personal sin is your choice. It's what you choose to do with your life. The actions you choose to make. By allowing the Holy Spirit to live in you and work in you, you decide whether or not you want to listen or ignore. But what we're talking about here is the sin that has to leave is that original sin.
the Holy Spirit will help you with your personal sin. Jesus came in to break the, the curse of original sin. It's Christmas. Christmas isn't just a day. It's a condition of the world. It's where we are. It's what we are living in. We're anticipating Jesus' return again. But now we're anticipating it with the promise and the hope already of, of death being conquered, sin being conquered. We're in the state of Christmasness because God has not abandoned us. See, while we don't have any new words that are written in this book, right? We talked about the 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that's a time where God was silent. God is not silent today. Although we're not adding to this book, we're not adding to the Bible, God has not been silent because He gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit speaks to us. And the Holy Spirit counsels us. And the Holy Spirit convicts us. And the Holy Spirit encourages us. And the Holy Spirit shows compassion to us. And mercy. And grace. And love. And forgiveness. I was talking with somebody a couple weeks ago. And we were just having a little chat. And they were struggling with accepting that God had forgiven them for whatever it was. They were struggling with being okay that whatever they had done wrong, that God actually would forgive that. That God actually could still love them. And I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. I've felt that way before. It's a miserable place to be when you feel like your sin is so much worse than everybody else's that God can love everybody else and forgive everybody else's sin except yours. Well, it's a lie that the devil tells you as he wraps around your leg like he did with Eve in that picture. There is no sin that is beyond God's reach of love, compassion, grace, forgiveness. What stops us is our willingness to accept it. Our willingness to allow Jesus to enter in so that sin has to flee. Our willingness to allow the Holy Spirit to enter into our lives so that we might speak life into other people. Sin cannot coexist with holiness. Holiness casts it out. And holiness descends on all of us by simply accepting that Jesus Christ entered this world to save us from our sins and to conquer the grave. You might not feel like a holy person. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, guess what? You're a holy person. Whether you want to accept that or not, you are. God has declared it. And you can't take it away from him. Because God has declared it. When Jesus enters in, sin has to flee. Whether or not you think you're loved, or whether or not you think you deserve any of that love, just by virtue of God declaring it, you are holy and you are loved. You need to hear that today? You are loved. 
despite what you feel like you have done that can't be loved past. You are loved by the creator of the universe, by God Almighty, who has no beginning and has no end. God, that God, big, 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 big God, loves you. And you can't make him stop. Hate to break it to you. You can't. You can't make him stop loving you. You're holy and you are loved. And you don't deserve it, but God gives it anyway. None of us deserve it. God gives it anyway. Because God wants to. The entrance of God into life is an exit of self. And there's nothing more freeing than that. Sin entered the world by selfishness. Adam and Eve decided that while God said we can eat from everything in the Garden of Eden except that one tree which has the knowledge of good and evil, I think I'm going to do that anyway. Because why not? I can do what I want. I'm a grown-up. Selfishness caused sin to enter the world. And when Jesus comes into our lives, he begins to work through that selfishness that we have inside of us. He begins to make you selfless as you begin to reflect him more and more in your life. It's a process. This doesn't happen overnight. You don't go to bed one day not following Jesus and then you accept Jesus and all of a sudden you don't have any selfish thoughts the rest of your life. That's not how it happens. We all have selfish thoughts still because we're living in this world where sin exists around us. But God can work in you and begin now to make you into the person he wants you to be for the rest of eternity. Because that's what God wants to do. So what do you do with this? Right? What, what do we do with this information now that we have it? A couple things. I've got three R's for you to remember. The first one is remember. Remember that God loved you. And the rest of humanity with you. And he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to suffer the cruelest of punishments for sins and problems he did not commit so that we could be free. Free from sin, free from death. Remember that God loves you. Second R, receive. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit by allowing God to work in your heart and remove selfish things and replace them with godly things. This is painful. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. This is what changes your life. Allowing the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit needs to do to make you something more than you ever thought you could be. God knows who you were created to be. God wants to make you into that person. Allow the Holy Spirit to do it. Remember God loves you. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And return. Return to others God's love and kindness that He has given you. Christmas is about Jesus entering life so that we might enter into the lives of others with love, compassion, grace, mercy, and kindness. Remember God loves you. Receive the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit do its work in you. He wants to work in you. He wants to transform your life 
He wants to change you. It will be hard, and it will be challenging, but receive it and return that love to other people. I've asked Sandy if she would come forward, and we're just going to sing uh, one verse from another Christmas song um, as we close out. And, and as we finish that song, I'll come up and I'll pray, and, and I'll dismiss us. But, man, if you would stand to your feet and just sing this song. It's a song of declaration, once again, for Jesus to come into our lives. Make it a song for you personally today. Would you invite Jesus into your life? to begin to change things, to begin to make your life different than, than it already is. Heavenly Father, we don't get to control when you speak into our lives and when you begin to call us to do radical and life-changing things. But we do get to decide when we want to accept it and when we want to move forward with you. So God, I pray that today you galvanize us as a people who are called by you, who have been changed by you. God, make us into a people that love with compassion that makes no sense. Because you've worked so hard in our hearts and in our lives that the selfish things that cause us to hold back have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. That Jesus, you are what's reigning and ruling inside of us. And because of it, our lives are changed and the lives of others are changed. So we invite you, this Christmas season and all year long, to come. Come, Emmanuel. Be God with us. Live with us. Move with us. Share with us. Encourage us. Teach us. Love with us. Give with us. Be with us, God. And Lord Jesus, will you continue to make us more like you today than we were like you yesterday? For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Wapaknas podcast. We hope you were moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you, and that you were moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.